Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, everyone. I, I preached a couple of months ago, and I preached on the the intimacy of Jesus. Those who remember, it was about I wanted to present how tender Jesus was, how beautiful he was, and how much he wants a relationship with you. And I gave a couple of examples of how he he did that with his disciples. After his resurrection, how he appeared to the two on the road, to Emmaus. And he kept himself hidden from them. He pretended to be someone else. You know, After the resurrection, the disciples were distraught, but Jesus was playing along with them. He wasn't just, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm back, don't be sad anymore. But he just, he pretended to be a tourist. Saying, What's, why are you too sad? Why haven't you heard? Where have you been, man? And Jesus goes, what? And Jesus has died. Oh, sorry for that. You know, Jesus is pretending to be someone else. And then he pretended to go a bit further. You know, oh, no, don't go further, friend. Come back to our house for dinner, said the apostles. So Jesus, again, just pretend to be this guy. And, and then he appeared when they broke the bread and off he disappears. And then there was the other example I showed where at the beach, the disciples were fishing. Jesus appeared on the beach and shouted, hey, friends, you caught any fish? And the disciples on the boat looking, no, mate, we ain't caught nothing. And then Jesus says, doesn't he, throw your nets on the other side. And that was the hook. That's when the disciples remembered that first tender moment when Jesus first announced to them who he was. That first meeting. It shows how beautiful Jesus is. But he wanted to recollect for those disciples that first meeting. They remembered it. We remember our first meeting with Jesus. We remember that first moment with God when he breaks into our lives. And Jesus was doing the same here. Showing that tender, tender moment. And as disciples swam across the, the lake and got back, there he is doing a barbecue with fish and bread. You know, just showing his love. We remember those moments, don't we? Remember our first meetings with our wives and husbands, those first kiss, all those kind of things, don't we? Well, I do. I remember the first words I said to my wife. It was, excuse me, where's the bacon? We remember these moments, don't we? Do you remember where you first met your wife and husband? And Jesus was doing the same thing to his disciples. That's beautiful, isn't it? He's just showing what a tender, beautiful, intimate God he is. And that's what he died on the cross for, to have a relationship with you. And today I want to share from the book of Acts about the apostle Stephen. And I want to sort of show another side of God's heart here as well. The heart of Stephen. So before I read from the book of Acts chapter 6, let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the sacrificial heart of many bringing this word. And indeed for the sacrificial heart of Stephen in this story, Lord. Talk to us now, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us a new revelation, Lord, of something more about you, Lord, and what you want from us in our lives. 
Thank you, Father. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen with a PH, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I'll just hold it there for a second. I'll continue reading in a short while. So the background to the story here is before violent persecution broke out on Christians, there was already social persecution. Jews who had converted to Christianity making Jesus their saviour, they were ostracised from society. They were neglected, they were cut off. They were cut off. So the early church believers, they had to depend on each other for support, for food, for homes, for sharing, for selling things so they can have things to give to these new believers. And I think that's something we can learn today as well. We, Around new believers, we need to get around them to encourage them, not to make them feel alone because to... To become a Christian, admit to becoming a Christian, you can feel isolated. So we can learn there too that we we need to get around new believers to show they're not alone. We need to help them, love them and pray for them and that they've entered into a larger, wonderful family. Now that's what this church is doing too, isn't it? We're running new ministries, discipleship ministries on a Wednesday now. So we're learning and putting things in place too to help these new believers too. In verse 1, we read, It says that the widows were being overlooked. They complained because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now in the Old Testament, God laid down many laws and rules for widows and orphans not to be neglected. It was a big heart of God to look after these lessons in society, those alone, in widows and orphans. So he sets out his care and provision. Therefore, a need arose. A need arose. Now this was done godly and with wisdom. The disciples said in verse 2, gathered all the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now that can appear sort of belittling really. I'm too busy doing other important stuff for God than to serve food on a, as a waiter. It's not what that means at all. You know, it means to distribute the food and to assist these people in need. It's not what it meant. The 12 disciples were indeed doing God's work. But here we see clearly the church in action. A need arose. They had to do something about it. This is the church growing, isn't it? 
their energies, the disciples' energy, their calling was to minister the word. They says we'd, it would not be right to neglect the ministry of our prayer and to preach the word. They need to reach people in a different way in this distribution of the food. Now note in verse 2 also that they said it was the ministry of waiting on tables. The ministry of waiting on tables. All work is ministry. All work is ministry. Well, if you feel your job is little or it's, it's, it's not what you should be doing, do it well. All work is ministry. You know, it's nothing low in society or anything like that at all. The disciples recognized to distribute bread was a ministry. If the disciples were being overstretched in other areas of church work, they couldn't do their job effectively. We've all got a call in in certain areas of our lives, and the disciples recognized that. If they were to distribute the bread, they wouldn't be able to preach the gospel or prepare sermons or do all the other things they were needed to do. What was the result of identifying this need and appointing these seven to distribute the food? In verse 7, we see what happened. The word of God spread. In verse 6, they says, they presented the seven men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, the word of God Spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So recognizing a need, appointing godly people to run that need, both ministries flourished, if you like. The, the, the apostles were able to concentrate on their ministry of preaching the word, allowing the seven, including Stephen, to concentrate on their ministry of doing food. It's an example of our church here growing, isn't it? As our church grows, we recognise in areas all the time now of uh, needed ministry. Men's ministry, the women's ministry, the children's ministry, evangelism ministry. Uh, we need to look at all these areas of church life. And as we church grows, a need arises. We're looking at more space. The children's groups are bursting. We might have to build a building out the back here. Call it the car park project. So if you want to make a donation to the car park project, a million pounds might go a long way. But you know, we are recognizing that things are growing here. And we have to really pray hard and ask God for wisdom how to, to cater for these needs. And that's what they did here, and the church grew. We can't wait until the church is bursting before we do that. We need to act sooner rather than later to accommodate the need. It's all good stuff, isn't it? Amen. Early as Moses, Moses had to learn to delegate. I find that so hard to delegate, you know. In my work, you know, I, I'd like to train someone, hand it over, but you just know that you need to do the job yourself. <laughs> I'm not letting anyone else draw that. I can, it's only me. I can do that. We have to learn to delegate. You know, an example of a good leader is if that leader's no longer there, the ship carries on running, doesn't it? That's an example of a good leader. So we learn to need to train well and learn to delegate. We need to do that. It is necessary in ministry to choose people with wisdom, integrity, and sensitivity to God. Stephen and his associates were all these. 
They were all those people. And as a result, the church grew. 2,000 years later, billions of Christians worldwide. Probably as a result of that one meeting there. It split and then carried on, carried on, growing, growing, growing. The power of the gospel. One lesson from Stephen in this ministry is striving for excellence in small assignments prepares one for greater responsibilities. So if you feel that your job is small, do it well because God will then give you a greater responsibility. And Stephen had a heart for God. I spoke earlier about the tenderness and the, the love of Jesus and the compassion that Jesus has. Now Stephen had that. Because when he had the heart of God, it does lead to practical and compassionate action towards others. He had that. When he saw the need of the widows and the orphans, he felt compassion to help them. And he had that heart of God. What is our heart? I'm going to continue reading now from Acts 6 verse 8. The second part when Stephen is now being seized. Now most of us know that Stephen was the first martyr for the faith. The whole of chapter 7 is given to Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin. But before that is these seven verses. 8 to 15. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. They're telling lies. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's the government of the Jews. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say, This Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Amen. So verse 8 says, he, Stephen was doing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. But he was just a manager of the local food charity, wasn't he? Just distributing bread. That was his task. Doing spreadsheets, doing rotors, preparing all this kind of stuff. Meetings, team meetings. How to get the best out of your staff kind of meetings. That's what he was doing, wasn't he? But here he is, straight away, doing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Presented in this ministry and now he's doing these things. When the apostles said, we need some volunteers for this ministry to head up food distribution. Who's in? Stephen and the others put that, I'm in. I'm in. Now, I don't believe it was just for them, so they can put it on their CV. Food manager, warehouse manager, head of bread distributor. No, though it good it is. Though good it is. We do need, we need our CVs, don't we? But they knew it was their way of ministering and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was through their work doing this, they can do God's work, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Colossians three twenty three. 
one of my favorite verses, really, that God really spoke to me some time ago. Whatever you do, work at it with your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Stephen did that. And God taught me that as well. When I was bored in my work some years ago, I said, I'm bored doing this, Lord. Then he gave me that verse and, and well, God is good. God is good. So many wonderful things have happened in my workplace as a result. Many people have heard the gospel, healings, people minister to, the love of God portrayed out in your work every day. Not just turning up, measuring a bit of stone, however exciting it is, or drawing it. It's going there. I gave out a couple of Bibles in London on Wednesday when I did a site visit. And it's just awesome. You come away thinking, work was good, but God did even good things as well. Hallelujah. That's what Stephen did. I can imagine Stephen his work, can't you? Right? Yeah, you want some bread? Here's some bread for you. You, you, you. you need some bread. Where's your food token? That you, oh, you got a bad back. All right. So we've seen an archer. Legs are growing. Can we pray for your leg? Bang. Praying for the minister, praying for the widow. The orphan's son comes in with a bad ear. Stephen prays, bang, ear healed. These are the miraculous signs. He wasn't just giving out his bread. He was praying for the sick. He was, distrib- he was showing God's love and compassion for these people. Demonstrating the power of Jesus. If we're like Stephen, we need to, to think about, are we doing the same in our workplaces? Homes, colleges. It's difficult, isn't it? Are we bold enough? Are we ready to pray for them? Show compassion. Stephen showed compassion. And then he followed up with demonstration of God's power. I do ask God every day, like, show me people through your eyes, Lord Jesus, so I can have the compassion that you have for people. Because we're nothing about Jesus. I want to minister to people like Jesus ministers to them. I want to love them as Jesus loves them. Now, Stephen was clearly brave in his workplace. He probably knew that he was ruffling a few feathers. Difficult, isn't it? You might upset the bosses. Some colleagues may think, oh, he's Bible bashing again. He's preaching to me again. Oh, will he ever stop talking about Jesus? Here we go again. But sometimes this is what happens. Stephen felt this. He was brave and he upset a few people. But he was growing in his ministry. As he was doing this, he was getting bolder. He was getting stronger. God was preparing him for a moment such as this. The last verse, shone like an angel. Shone like an angel. There he is being ruffled into this meeting. If I was pushed into a meeting in a a work situation, I don't think my face would shine like an angel. I'd be terrified. I'd be white. I'd be petrified, worried. Stephen was ready for this moment. His ministry, doing his job, prepared him for a moment such as this. He was dragged before the council. And now this was his time to stand and fight the good fight. We're called to fight the good fight. And there is always a fight to be had. For every Christian, there is a fight to be had, I believe. A heart for a battle. Now, God gave man a masculine heart. A woman, a feminine heart. David says in Psalm 62, 11 to 12, One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Are loving. Strong and loving. When a young boy is born, for the first couple of years he's nurtured, 
caressed by his mother. But there comes a point when he has to leave the mother and seek the adoration, the masculine of his father. He doesn't want to be called cuddly cheeks for too long, does he? He wants to be cast up, be going with tiger, mate. That's what he wants to be called. That's true, isn't it? So, yeah, mum, yeah. What does my mum call? No, I'm not going to go there. She calls me Stephen. <laughs> with a PH. Yeah, so a young lad needs to seek his father's praise, his father's masculinity, and a father's heart. But a mother's role is obviously not finished there, is it? You know, she can still care and love them and pray for them. And be there providing as well for them. So praise God for mothers. But a young man doesn't need to seek his father. There's an adventure to be had. A masculine world to explore for the young man. Now we see in society today the, the lack of real men, I believe. In society, the absentee father. Lack of real mo- role models. Being continually told to stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this. Be nice, be nice, be nice, be nice. But it's in a boy's nature to be rough and tumble, looking for a little fight. That's in his nature. It's a God-given nature in his heart too. So mothers, if your child, if your young lad is doing an assault course in the living room, okay, we'll draw the line there. We don't have to do that. Take him to the park, let him be rough and tumble outside. But that's a young man's nature. King David, he was rough, wasn't he? He killed a bear with his bare hands, a lion. He was a tough guy, wasn't he? He was tough. We need to look around and think, this is part of God's heart, to be tough, to be a fighter. Yes, I, I looked into God's tenderness and sweetness of Jesus, and that is also wonderful. But there's a heart in every one of us too for a fight. Man has a battle. God is a fighter. Our God is fighting for us always. We sang it earlier. Our God is fighting for us always. We are at war with a spiritual enemy. Stephen knew this battle. Stephen knew this battle. He was prepared for it. He worked for it in his ministry. And when the time came, he stood up. With the word of God, he stood up. With the word of God. And in chapter 7, 51 verses... He spoke the word of God, giving it all back to the Sanhedrin. This is what the word of God, I know it. He was fighting and then he paid for it with his life. He knew his battle was that moment. Jesus, he picked fights, didn't he? Yes, he's intimate and tender, but he picked his fights. When Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he was accused by the religious leaders, wasn't he? What are you doing healing on the Sabbath? Jesus did not hold back, did he? You hypocrites. You hypocrites. You feed your horses on the Sabbath. Why not this guy who needs healing? Why not this person who needs healing? Jesus charging through the temple courts, wasn't he? He made a whip up. They were money changing. They were doing all these, all these other things, selling. He was going through there like a madman, tipping the tables up. Get out, come on. This is my dad's house. Get out of here. He was tipping the tables up. He was angry. Righteous anger. He knew how to pick a fight, Jesus. Don't stand in his way. He knew his battles. We're competitive creatures by nature. 
Forgive me, women, if I'm talking about men a bit too much. I'm just getting to the heart of Stephen. And you'll learn why your husband's like they are sometimes. And men. <laughs> but uh, we're competitive creatures, men. I mean, how many, men know, how many ladies know at Christmas time or any other time when you're playing board games, men are competitive? You know, it's important for men to win. Isn't it? I mean, that's why they want to cheat and dive at football or pretend they've got 180 on darts or that. we're competitive we've got to win you know when we're playing FIFA with the boys you know well, when I score mate I'm running around the room get in let the children win no no way oh let the children oh okay yes it's great it's in our nature to win isn't it we play charades at Christmas with our family. Charades. And it's so competitive, boys against girls. We've got to win. We make some things up, we do. But who won the charades? Was it the men? What? No, it was the men. <laughs> or was it a draw? Okay. They're so competitive, isn't it? We need to channel this competitiveness into a real fight that God wants for us. Isn't it? You know, when you're, you're young and you're playing sport or something and the girl comes from the, and you think, oh, oi, Fred, you, she's from the, she's come to watch. Really? <laughs> up comes the bravado, shirts rolled up, showing the biceps. You know, you, 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 you try that a bit harder because there's something to win for, there's something to fight for. I did. You do. You'd, I remember playing football in the mornings and uh, Lily came and watched once. Man, there were so many slide tackles. People were going over everywhere. I was really trying. Surprised I didn't get sent off, actually. There you go. We need a fight. There's a fight to be had. There's a fight to be had. I think I've lost my place now. Anyway, where was I? Yes. Our God is fighting for us always. Now, Revelation 19, 11 to 16 shows another point of Jesus that is just incredible. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He is a name written on him. That no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus on the white horse. His final battle. Displaying characteristics of a warrior. Come back fighting for his people. He loves us so much. He'll fight for you. He'll fight for you. It's wonderful when we recognize his lovingness and his forgiveness and his tenderness. Then we're accepted into his family. And then to know that our God, who is oh so forgiven, oh so wonderful and gracious in his mercy to us, will fight for us as well. No one can stand against us when God's with you. He is so much bigger than anything. Our God is fighting for us always. So as I said, in every man, every heart, there is a fight to be had. 
But we need to ask God, what is your mission? What is our mission? What are we here for, Lord? What are we here for? Now, remember, remember when I mentioned the, uh, the young lad needs to leave his mother's side, then seek his father's masculinity, the adventure. There comes a point, too, when he needs to leave that and seek God alone, to go into the wilderness, to find his mission. So important. I did that. You, your parents can teach you so much and guide you so much. But it's you alone who has to have an appointment with God one day to seek your destiny in his hands. True, isn't it? We need to, to seek him alone. I remember that over 12 years ago now, I, I was alone. I was in the wilderness. And I just got on my knees and said, God, if you're real, you show me you're real because I can't do my life without I can't do my life anymore. I need you to guide me, to help me through my life. What am I here for? What am I living for? What am I existing for? And God will put in your heart his love and mercy. And as you grow with God, he will show you his mission more and more. Like Stephen, he started in the ministry of distributing food. And then he grew and grew and grew until such a time when he was ready to give his life for Jesus. Wasn't he? Incredible. Now, man was created in the wild. Yeah, man was created in the wild, out of dirt, then placed into the garden. Then placed into the garden. Eve was created in the garden. Have you noticed that in creation, in the order of creation? Heavens and the, and the earth, sky and the water, earth and land. Uh, vegetation came, and God says, right. Now put the animals in the sea. Very good. Animals on the land. Very good. Oh, we'll now make man. Now put in the garden. Now the pinnacle of God's creation. The woman. <laughs> the pinnacle of God's creation, isn't it? It's like a crescendo building up, building up, building up, and suddenly woman. Man is captivated by the beauty of woman. The daughters of Eve have continued to be a stumbling block to many men. And their missions. God-given missions too. Because it's, because it's the pinnacle of God's creation, men can put women as the object of their desire. And not put God first, the maker of the beauty. We need to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. As King David says, and then it will all fall into order. But when we put the woman as a conquest, it fades. It fades. Without God-given mission, a conquest at work, or a woman, or, or whatever, a sport, that becomes the mission. But it fades. God is the ultimate guide. Every man has a mission from God. Every one of us has a mission from God. We need to ask God for it. We can ask our parents, our pastors, our Christian brothers and sisters for advices. They can pray for us. But ultimately, you have to hear from God. Maybe someone's hearing from God right now. Through the power of the Holy Spirit now talking. Elijah discovered his mission in the, in the wild. 
Jesus led, was, was also led in the wild, wasn't he, for 40 days. It was there that he discovered his mission. Moses, he was led into the wilderness to get his mission. John the Baptist just lived in the wilderness. <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> I didn't mean to say that, but, but he did. He was in the wilderness. We are born in the wilderness, men. We are not made to sit in front of the computer screen for nine hours a day. There's more to be had. There's an adventure to be had. Stephen knew his mission. His mission was to represent the gospel to the very end, even with his life. A bit of advice to single girls and women. If you want to marry, ask the, the young man, what is his mission in life? What's his mission? Is it God-centered? Or are you his mission? You need to ask those questions carefully. Because if it's God-centered, you'll be taken up on a journey that's going to be exciting and God-centered. And you're going to be wrapped up in God's will for that young man's life. We need to seek the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 27.4. King David said, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We need to seek God's masculine heart. To enable us to fulfill our God-given destinies. His Holy Spirit to fill us. To stop filling ourselves with desires. That are contrary to what God's wills for us. You know I'd rather. Live for. I'd rather die for something. And live for nothing. Paul. Famously wrote didn't he. To live is Christ. And die is gain. And Stephen knew this didn't he. Stephen knew this. It's incredible. He, he did die for, for Jesus. And there was Paul, then known as Saul, in chapter 8, verse 1, giving approval to the death of Stephen. Giving approval to the death of Stephen. So Stephen's death had an influence on Saul. On that Damascus Road moment when Saul encountered Jesus, and then the days after that, he must have been thinking about that death of Stephen. What I witnessed. And when he knew the power of Jesus, he must have been on his knees. Oh Lord, forgive me for that, what I did with Stephen. Forgive me for what I did. And he transformed him. Transformation. Stephen lived his life in service, in service of others. His passion was to help the poor, the heart of Christ. His face shone like an angel. We can Go away thinking, okay, Lord, what is my mission? What is my mission in life, Lord? I don't want to live an empty life, Lord. I want to live with a purpose. Live with a purpose. Your purpose. I like the work of all the charities, the women's of worth that we support here, the compassion charities where they support the widows, the orphans. Because they have a compassion of Jesus' heart in them to help them. That's the fight to have, not over a game of charades at Christmas. They're the fights to be had, to fight for people's lives. Perhaps it's to help an organisation where young girls are now on the other side of the world being sold into prostitution. Young men are now being pushed into drug gangs because they have no hope, no future. These are the young lives that Stephen had a heart for. And I pray that we all have a heart like that too. 
I'll say it's a fear, but there's no fear with God really. But who knows? God can take me to those places sometime. And uh, we saw that in Cuba. These hearts, these lives, empty young lives, lost without hope and a future. Stephen helped. His friends helped. The church is helping. And we, perhaps that is our mission. Your mission. Your mission. Will your face shine like an angel this week? Will your face shine like an angel in your workplace? Like Stephen. Just to summarize a couple of lessons there from what Stephen taught us there. Striving for excellence in small assignments prepares one for greater responsibilities. Your job isn't small. Your job is not insignificant. God knows you're there for a reason, at a time in your life for a purpose, to prepare you for something bigger and better. Have faith in that. Have faith in that. And a real understanding of God always leads to practical and compassionate actions towards others. You ask for the heart of Jesus, he'll show you compassion. He'll show you a heart and a love for others that you just you couldn't do yourself. It's the heart of the Lord. He loves people so much. So how many risks do we take in being followers of Jesus? How many risks do we take? Are we willing to die for him? Are we really willing to live for him? His face shone like an angel. Be a difference where you are this week. You're planted in your situation to shine like an angel for someone. To minister to, to comfort, to put an arm around, to pray for. Be that light that God called you to be. The light in a very dark world. Be the light. Remember, our God is fighting for us always. He's a fighter. He's a lover and a fighter. He's fighting for his kingdom. He's fighting for his children. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.